Hello, everybody. Welcome back into Locked On Suns, pretty locked on podcast network. Today's eyes and your host, Evan Sider. As, as always, I'm joined by my co host, Brendan Queen. You can follow me on Twitter at East Sider. You can follow Brendan on Twitter at Brendan Queen14. You can follow our Locked On Suns Twitter page on already at Locked On PHX Suns. Your support over there is very much appreciated, as always. The majority of you guys take for our Friday episode, closing out the week here. And we got a lot of responses here, Brian. I think this is the most flooded our mailbag's been in this short amount of time. We had a, a last-minute decision to do a mailbag for today's episode, and our, our listeners really flooded the mailbox today. Yeah, it should be fun. Uh, thank you to everybody who responded. As Evan said at the top, you can get in on the action by following us on Twitter at LockedOnPHXSuns for the next one of these, or maybe if you throw a question our way, we'll just answer it out of the blue anyway. So keep up there but yeah it should be a lot to talk about i mean that's why we wanted to do one is uh there's probably more to talk about right now than ever before as far as games go oh i would certainly agree with you there three and two on the season for the phoenix suns and you you just look at the way they played so far it's obviously one of the most surprising stories in the nba so far it's getting national attention and for good reason monty williams is coaching doing one of the better jobs the nba and the roster improvements that they're really gelling together so far but we want to start off today's show with a question we got from multiple listeners, and I know Brennan wants to clarify it here. And we'll start with Duryea Wallace, who's our loyal listener who always asks questions here. And I'm going to jumble it all in together with Duryea because we had a couple of questions off the air too about it. And it, it comes from Duryea here. He kind of wraps it up for everyone who's wondering. P- Brennan, please clarify your Aiton versus Baines comment on today's episode. I know you didn't mean individually Baines is better than Aiton. My question for you guys, are bigs consistently show up to put up five-plus assists this season? Do any of our bigs break a triple-double? So the first part of that question that I want to focus on, clarify your Aiton versus Baines comment from yesterday. Brennan, I didn't think of much of it at first, but I guess people are wondering about it. Yeah, and I I want to hear, like I want you to balance me out here too because I didn't think it was very controversial either, but just to really specify exactly what my stance is here because I, I tweeted it and then I said it on the pod and I think they were slightly different from one another the statements that I made but I think the first place to start here is the fact that Aiton is now suspended for 25 games is really really painful for his development and for our, our ability and obviously we don't matter but the team's ability to know what it has in him and how it can play around him now uh, my belief that Baines is a that this version of Baines right now is better than what we've seen of Aiton so far I think he's played 68 NBA games or 69 or something like that is part partly informed by kind of the conversation we had with Chris Herring on our Tuesday episode about what you can learn from having uh older versions of like a, a type of a player and to me I think it's 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 such an interesting discussion, but I think that the reason that I that I prefer Baines is because he does a lot of things that are way more valuable for a big man to be able to do that Aiton just can't do right now. And it, it is kind of a, a night and day thing with these two guys because Baines has really turned himself into a floor spacer and interior defender um, at a really high level at both of those things. Obviously, we know how physical and, and good he is in some of those areas as well of rebounding, setting screens, and uh, defending as a post guy. But those two categories, shooting and, and defending at the rim, Aiton doesn't do, and I just think those two things are the most important things for a center to be able to do in the NBA. 
Uh, so I think he's a better fit in this starting lineup because they need a guy who can do that stuff. That's how this system is built. And I also think right now he's showing himself to be a, a more valuable player. Now, it, it's a, I think it's so complicated and kind of silly to get into talent and try to argue about who has more talent because that's, that's ex- kind of pretending like we have way more insight about these guys than we do. I, I've never watched DeAndre Ayton practice never seen him in the gym alone working with Mark Bryant. I've never seen Aaron Baines doing that stuff. I don't know which of these guys has more fibers of talent in their DNA than one another, but I can tell you that I think this version of Aaron Baines is more valuable to this team and probably to any team than this version of DeAndre Ayton, and I fully expect that to change. As I said at the beginning, though, problem is we won't see that till December. I think from where I come from on that point, like I mentioned on the Tuesday episode and whenever we talked about it last with Aiden on yesterday's episode, I think game one Aiden, if that's consistent, I would easily take him over this version of Baines and the age difference, of course, 21-33. I, I know you're not mentioning like, oh, yeah, I'd rather so go with franchise. Yeah, so age and development and all that stuff is is kind of not what I'm trying to get into, yeah. Yeah, exactly. You're not saying you'd, you'd build a franchise around Aaron Baines no over way. DeAndre. Okay, yeah, I just wanted to clarify that. But as far as... It goes with my point on that. I think game one version of Aiden, if we see that consistently, I think he's going to be a, a very good Baines-like impact on this team we've seen from him so far in these last five games. And I think Aiden, if he can stretch the floor, we've seen his playmaking ability in the past with his passing last year. It, it, I think if Baines can get seven assists in a game, I, I truly believe DeAndre Aiden can also get near seven assists in the game. And I think they, just to go into Duryea's second que- second part of his question there, can as far as bigs consistently showing the put five plus assists per game, do they make any big cra- cracks triple double this year? And I believe it's not going to be until DeAndre Ayton comes back. I believe Ayton has the the rebounding prowess, the passing ability we saw last year. If he can tap into more of that, and also we saw at the University of Arizona a lot more often. And I believe his scoring ability, I think he's going to be a walking twenty and ten this year when he's back. And I think there's going to be a game in like March or maybe early April, Brennan, where he gets like twenty two, twelve, and eleven or something like that. And he puts up a triple-double this year. Just with the way we've seen Monty Williams utilize his bigs, maybe there's not a triple-double this year, but if there's anyone that's going to do it, I think it's DeAndre. And I think just the way that Monty uses his passing ability out of his bigs is one of the more unique unique coaching things that we've seen out of any NBA team this year. I agree with you as far as Aiton, I think, has more upside as a passer. Just inherently, um, the things he's able to do with the ball in his hands, we've seen him kind of grow as a playmaker, just in the short time he's been in the NBA, uh, we've seen him start to add some one-dribble one moves out of the post, and we've seen him pass just at a higher level, and those outlet passes that I got so excited about in the first game really have gone away. It was really an Aiton thing, not so much of a uh, Monty Williams or coaching thing, so that has been been missing. I think that's one area. Uh, just igniting that transition offense. We saw it. We heard Aiton talk about how he wants to be more of a playmaker in the open floor and obviously won't have the chance to see if he can start to do some of those things now. Uh, but though he's a more dynamic guy with the ball in his hands. I also saw a lot of people say that uh, the finishing and athleticism of Aiton inside as like a role man and finisher on offense is more valuable. I just don't see much value in that compared to other things like spacing the floor and uh, defense. I, I understand that that's a skill he has. He's probably, honestly, maybe top five or ten in that category as far as big men go in the league already, but I just don't see that as something that's really all that important to a good team. Uh, there's plenty of teams that 
are perfectly fine without a role man in the pick and roll that, that have been great now and in the past. So that to me, I know a lot of people said that. I just don't really quite see it uh, as far as what really that adds to winning a game or whatever. But uh, Son of Oz, I think, had a question that's not quite the same, but maybe could be a place to go with this conversation. That's at Son of Oz 1. He said, how will Aiton reintegrate into the offense? So uh, what do you think maybe changes when when DeAndre does come back in? Are there areas where you think the team is is doing well right now that he might struggle to acclimate to? Are there different ways you could see them playing? We only have one game of evidence plus the preseason, but I think that is an interesting question. I think it is because the way we've seen Bain so far is not the way we're going to see DeAndre and use as far as offensively, as far as setting a very hard screen, and then he's going to roll out once the either Ruby or Booker funnels everyone inside. He's going to pop back out to the three-point line and hit a three. Right now, all we have with DeAndre on that point is that he's going to stay where he is on the screen and hit a long two. I don't know if Aiden's confident enough or if he's um, – he definitely isn't as far as skilled enough from three as far as Aaron Bain does right now. I don't think we're going to see Aiden shooting six threes per 36 minutes at any point this season, let alone maybe one or two because he's been shy to put it up so far, at least in the first game so far. It surprised me a little bit after, after all the offseason talk. But I believe overall with Aiden, I, I, I think it's going to be a lot of post-ups and inside moves, a lot of pick and roll like we saw at Rubio in game one where he rolls to the rim and tries to go for alley-oop attempts. And I think we're going to see a lot more Booker off the ball even more once Aiden is back like we saw in game one. I think it's going to be a lot of pick and roll with Rubio and a lot of shooters in the corners. Like I think Cam Johnson's going to be very important once DeAndre Aiden's back because I think losing Baines in his minutes in that starting unit is going to have to be funneled by someone. And if it's not Mikhail Burris or Kelly Oubre, who aren't consistent three-point shooters at this point in time, I think Cam Johnson could really play a role here. I agree with all of that. I think the to kind of piggyback off of it to me, the dimension that I think the version of Aiton we've seen, not expecting to have him start launching threes or even at this point to be a, a dominant, you know, foul drawer, efficient self-creator on offense. He can do a little bit of that, but that's not really been his game so far. I think the one area that Aiton, that Baines really just kind of does hold them back as far as something we thought they were going to want to do and haven't really been able to because of that downgrade or switch or whatever you want to call it, from Aiton to Baines is running, running the floor, creating fast break buckets. We've seen it here and there, of course. I think they're probably around the middle of the pack in transition, but uh, with Baines there, you're just not getting that. You're not really going to want to play that way. Uh, same with when Frank Kaminsky or Dario Saric are playing at the five for this team too. So uh, that's an element that I think they are lacking, and it does take away the ability to create some easy shots. Aiton's just uh, has the energy level and the athleticism to, to to be effective in those types of situations, whereas Baines obviously doesn't. But you mentioned Mikhail Bridges, and that's the second part of Son of Oz's question. I think that might be a good place to pick up here, if, maybe in the next segment. Yeah, we're going to stop here, and then we're going to talk to our sponsors here of today's show, which is Indochino. And we're going to also get into another sponsor today's show. Indochino is the world's largest made-to-measure menswear brand. Start your style upgrade now at $30 off your total purse of $399 or more at Indochino.com and enter the promo code LOCKEDON, L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N, at checkout. also want to tell you a little bit about why I love this part of year so much. It's, for some people, sweater weather, you got leaves on the ground. To be honest, none of that happens in Phoenix, so I'm sure you guys are on the same page as me when I say that my favorite part 
is the fact that for some people it's fall season, but for us it's ball season. That means pro and college ball are tipping off, and there's no better way to feel part of that action than to have a stake in the game with mybookie.ag. You're the kind of guy maybe who likes to bet a little or and wants to win a lot, maybe try a parlay. For instance, maybe a couple of the favorites on the weekend uh, schedule have your eye, but you're not exactly sure past that. Parlays can be perfect because they let you bet multiple games together for a much bigger payout. Maybe you're feeling that Michigan State, the hype they're getting, Cassius Winston, the preseason pick for national play of the year. Maybe you think that's way overrated. You have another team, another player in mind. Use that basketball knowledge to prove you have what it takes at mybookie.ag where they make it easy to play and even easier to get paid. So if you really want to support your team this season, don't just sit on the sidelines. Get in the game with mybookie.ag. If you join right now, mybookie will double your first deposit. To get that deal, you're going to use the promo code LOCKEDONNBA to activate that offer. Again, that's promo code LOCKEDONNBA to double your cash. Visit mybookie.ag today. You play, you win, and you get paid. So let's pick up here with Son of Oz. The second part of his question from that first segment, we talked a little bit about how DeAndre Ayton gets reintegrated into the offense. Second part was, what is up with Mikhail? I think that's a pretty simple question, but I think one that's on a lot of people's minds. And uh, I, I am almost just as lost as Son of Oz is here, to be honest with you. Uh, I, I don't have a great answer. And I think the only place that my that my mind has gone on this and why it could be happening is uh, just missing training camp with that knee injury and, and the potential that maybe, uh, you know, we heard a lot of guys talk about the difficulty of adjusting to this system and the, the demands that Monty put on them in training camp. Maybe Mikhail's just a little behind the curve here. I would agree with you there. I think that's one of the big reasons here because as we remember, he was set out with a knee injury and, and Ubre was out with a wrist injury for some of camp. And those guys were a little bit behind. I know Ubre obviously started from day one, but for a guy like a role player off in his second year, like Mikhail Burris, it's pretty important not to miss much of training camp. And unfortunately he did. And I, I will be worried though, because right now, at least at this point in time, in the first five games, Mikhail Burris is just a, a one side of the court kind of player, if you know what I mean, because he's not converting his shots. At, it's at a really bad rate from three right now. He's not really doing much other than just looking to pass right when he gets the ball, almost like Dragon Bender that like we talked about earlier in the week. And I think that's just a little worrisome to me. If he's just a elite defensive player, but he's a player who, for some reason, changes shot a little bit, and hopefully he gets it back like we saw at Delano. But if not, it's going to be a maybe a low 30 percentage type three-point shooter. I just don't know what you do with Mikhail because that means he's just like a, a one-sided player. He's not a Robert Covington even at that point. And he's not a guy who can consistently space the floor. And if that's the case, then we've already seen Cam Johnson already get a lot of minutes once he was fully healthy and how valuable his floor spacing is. Ubre is already becoming a focal point of the offense and Aiden's absence, I think, is going to be even more once Aiden even returns at this point. I, I just wonder what you do if Cam Johnson continues to get more comfortable in the scheme. And I know Monty Williams even mentioned at practice earlier the week that he wants to get Cam Johnson more minutes. And I've been talking to the coach staff about that. So I wonder what you do here and just where Mikhail fits in once everyone's back in the rotation. Yeah, I think that's a fair concern uh we talked a lot in the summer about what Mikhail could do to add to his game offensively and and right now uh he's fallen further below the level that he left his rookie season on and so thinking about what he might do as a playmaker or as a 
anything else at this point it is is moot because he's not knocking down his shots. He's one of seven from three to start the year, and and I just agree. Like he, the point that you made of maybe Cam Johnson stealing some of those minutes is interesting to me because you know to stay on the court offensively, Mikhail has to knock down shots because he doesn't really provide much else. So yes, you want his defense out there, and we've seen the value there, but. At the same time, uh, that's it's not really that useful of a player when other guys are doing more, and uh, it's fascinating to me. I think on top of that, too, the fact that uh, I think it was Dan Bickley on the radio the next day who made the point of that end-of-game situation on Monday against Utah where uh, I believe, I don't remember who was guarding, I think Javon Carter was on Donovan Mitchell on that last play, and Booker comes over to help, and, and Bickley kind of said, why was Mikhail Bridges not the guy that you had out there last year? It would have been him, and he's already been supplanted a little bit in those types of moments by Javon Carter and maybe even Kelly Oubre, who obviously is starting ahead of him, defending everyone under the, the sun right now, uh, no pun intended, between from De'Aaron Fox to Steph Curry to Kawhi Leonard. So Bridges' role, I think, is a little bit in jeopardy here. Yeah, I'm looking at his advanced stats here for a second on his basketball reference page. Per 36 minutes, his defense has gotten better. His steals rate's even higher than it was at this time last year. But his true shooting percentage is 48.2. His PER was a 10.8 last year, 7.7 so far in 92 minutes this year. His free throw rate's going up. His assist percentage is going down. And his usage rate is even lower than we saw last year at 9%. It just At this point, it's just on McHale to be more aggressive because obviously his defense looks even better than it was last year. His shooting, though, is very concerning at this point. But I, I, what do you think about – we can dive into our next question here. Uh, as far as on Mikhail's point, I wanted to close as far as it, – it's. I think it's on him to be more aggressive here. And if it's not, I think like I mentioned in my last point, I think Cam Johnson might be a player who comes back and gets more minutes once he's fully healthy because he's, he's already a 40% three-point shooter in the NBA. And as we saw in North Carolina, he can get hot at any point in time. So it will just be interesting to watch what happens with Mikhail. Bridges, of course, once everyone's back in the rotation, especially DeAndre Ayton. But on to our next question here, which is from Nick at Portnoy 14 What are your rotation expectations when Ty Jerome returns and will he be taking away minutes from Javon Carter? By the way, love the material, guys. Yeah, thanks, Nick, for the for the love. But I think from a rotation standpoint, minutes standpoint, uh, I don't see how Javon falls out right now. I think it, it would be a little bit dis uh, not disfair. That's not a word. Unfair. To say that, to say that Carter shouldn't be there, and maybe you try to find a, a place for both, but I, we've we've heard Monty time and again make a point of of trying to stick to a set type of rotation and not give guys minutes just because they happen to be, you know, good players even or you know showing a lot in practice that you kind of have to earn that on the court. And so Javon's done it, and it would really surprise me even with Ty Jerome healthy and how much we heard about him during training camp to see that he would just uh, waltz back into minutes here. I think it's going to be a slower process, unfortunately. I mean, injuries are are out of his uh, control, but I think that's just the reality at this point. How about you? I would agree with you there. I think just the way Javon Carter's play and the way that Monty Williams has praised him after almost each home game at this point with the way how confident he is in himself and his defensive mentality and how it helps out the overall defensive play. I think Carter – I. I think we were both leaning tied to Jerome before the season started, but I think Monty Williams himself, if we were leaning, reading the tea leaves during preseason, I think he was leaning toward Javon Carter anyways before Ty Jerome was hurt. Uh, I think they just have the luxury at this point. Ricky Rubio, then you have Javon Carter in the second year. Devin Booker can also be a boy handler, Tyler Johnson as well. You have the luxury of slow 
taking the slow development route with Ty Drew. I know he's an older rookie, of course, but I think having him in this kind of system with Ricky Rubio as a mentor from the next couple of years and have him just soaking up as much knowledge as he can from him until his contract expires, I think it makes a lot of sense to take the slow route with Jerome, especially now with him being injured. And I, I could see him maybe after the All-Star break really cracking in the rotation, but I think it's already an 11-man rotation now, Brennan. So I think making it 12, I think you're really stretching as far as being realistic here. Yeah, and you know things do change quickly. Like we've talked about the fact that Frank Kaminsky has has not shot it well for a couple games now. So you know that's a big man, but it's probably not going to happen until Aiton gets back. But if if Aiton comes back and Kaminsky's not really showing it, then you know maybe that creates an opportunity. There are other ways to see it happening, but if you're just looking at Carter and Jerome right now, I, I think it's pretty clear that that Carter has earned that spot. Um, I want to answer, this is one that I was hoping to talk about before we decided we were going to do a mailbag and then somebody asked about it. That's Mbappe for MVP. It's about the over-under, kind of reconsidering that. I really want to get to that. Uh, But before we do so, I wanted to remind everybody, wherever you're listening to the show, whether that's Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, maybe you're still on the Himalaya Podcast app, even though we stopped uh, asking you to do that. I don't know. Click the subscribe button, though, wherever you are on the internet and keep up with our show Monday through Friday as we take you through the sun season. Uh, be fresh, an, ep- an episode fresh on your doorstep on Monday to recap the Grizzlies game and every day after that, all throughout the year. So if you like what you're hearing, you want to keep up with this fun season with us, hit the subscribe button and come along for the ride. So Mbappe for MVP at Haizai underscore 19 says, now that we're five games in, how do you guys look at that 29 29- Point five over under small sample size but after what i've seen so far for money in the squad i would be very surprised if this team doesn't win at least high 30s games uh, i don't think i'm really ready to go high 30s because that would be uh surpassing that over under by maybe eight to ten games that's quite a bit and that's starting to look at a near 500 season i, I still don't know if i'm ready there because things do just change i mean injuries and all that stuff this has been a great run, but I think it's still a little too early to start saying that. To me, though, uh, I think it's pretty clear that they've beaten now three of these early teams that we thought they were going to struggle against, and that changes their output or their outlook quite a bit. Uh, yeah, I think I, I would also agree with you there a lot because you look at the schedule so far, we mentioned it through, all throughout the week how tough it is the first part of the season. and. I think when you when you see how they're doing against these teams, you're lost there by one point. You're beating up on the top teams in the Western Conference. I think it makes just an awful lot of sense for really to move up move up the Mendoza line a little bit because I had my over under at or my prediction at 32 wins, and that was me expecting them to really get blown out sometimes on some nights by some Western Conference teams. And I think I wasn't expecting this kind of defensive effort and the overall effort on both ends and the way that the system for Monty Williams has played out so far. So. Overall, I think there's a really good chance of them going above my prediction of 32 wins. And I think if they keep up this effort for 82 games, Brian, I think maybe somewhere around 35, 36, 37 wins makes more sense to me. Yeah, as the guy who's had to do uh, kind of defend myself on my takes on the two best players on this team, it felt a little weird to be uh, higher than most at 35, but I stuck by it because I, you know, what, what did I have to lose? feels pretty good right now though uh 35 I, I just think like some of the stuff that we were talking about expecting even though you were a few wins lower than me I think we both agreed that the way that they were going to play and the guys who were going to be on the court kind of didn't make sense for them to be 
to win 29 games. That's a bad team. And I just didn't think they were going to be a bad team this year. I thought they would at least be, you know, slightly below average and, you know, maybe punished a little bit by being in the West, but still pretty competitive. They've surpassed, obviously, those expectations. But to give people a little context here, 538 after their early start here, being near the top in offensive and defensive rating as we went over on our Thursday episode, 538 is projecting them now for 39 wins. So uh, at Highzai underscore 19, uh, the the metrics, at least on one website, agree with you. So uh, definitely going to have to keep seeing, you know, maybe they blow a game against the team they're supposed to beat. That changes. That's the nature of those projection systems. But interesting, nevertheless. We have a lot of questions. Well, a couple questions about trades, <laughs> as always. Um, I do think this one's interesting, though. So it's Tyler at T sample seven asked about trading Aiton for Markinen straight up. I don't think those types of things ever happen. So I don't think we need to talk about that type of trade actually happening, but just in general, uh, as far as like trade value for Aiton goes, um, I am really just curious from a perspective, not to get into another debate about his performance, but what do you think kind of the perception of this guy is now with this suspension? Like, it's just it's it's interesting to me to think how much this will maybe follow him. I think a lot of it will be based on how he performs when he gets back on the court. But I just feel like it's it, a lot of teams must be looking at, at this situation and thinking the Suns again, right? Like that kind of feels like what it must kind of the the perception must be of Aiton and this team right now. Yeah, it's probably a black eye for public perception and maybe in some NBA circles, just because maybe. I know Luka Doncic was a player that we talked about in the 2018 draft at Nazo. I know people don't want to listen to us talk about Luka that much anymore if you're a listener from all the way back then. But overall, I think I would still take Aiden over Laurie Markkinen because I just think the talent with Aiden is at a point where I, the upside is there. From if, if we see game one Aiden on a more consistent basis, I know it's only a one-game sample size, of course, but if we see that bad version of Aiden consistent under Monty Williams, then I'm taking him over Laurie Markman any day of the week because I think the upside with him and Monty Williams being able to mold him into the kind of two-way talent that they need to be successful, I think it could happen with DeAndre. And I think maybe this is a wake-up call for DeAndre and at the same time that, wow, okay, I really messed up here. I really cost my team at the same time, but also my team is winning without me. So I think it's going to motivate him even more. And I think maybe this could be a, a prove-it, like put-up-shut-up kind of time for DeAndre. And I think he might be able to answer a call here. Yeah, I think that's completely right on Aiton versus Markkanen. And that's kind of why I was like, let's try to come up with a different way to talk about this because I think Aiton is just kind of no question better as a as a player. I think Markkanen's a little bit positionless, pretty awful. I mean, we've talked a lot about how much Aiton needs to get better on defense. I think Markkanen's even worse. So I haven't watched the Bulls much the first week or so here, so maybe I – and missing something maybe he's made a little bit of a stride I know he's scored really well but not always a a very good defensive player so that I totally agree with uh I guess maybe we could close here from thousand yard stare uh he gave us a few takes of national people saying things that were wrong uh I appreciate that uh I don't appreciate the Culver trashing Uh, I won't take that we got to wait a little longer but um he asked, oh, it's it's at Christian VAU94N. I think that's Vaughn. Biggest surprise and biggest disappointment through five games. I think that's a good way to go out here. My, I'll start with my biggest surprise. Um, it's just been the defense overall. I mean, as a player specifically, I think it's Javon Carter, which I think contributes to the, to the solid defense a little bit. 
but just the the fact that they're in the top 10 defensively through five games is I mean honestly like I don't even know if we've talked about that enough that's bonkers yeah it really is incredible I think it speaks a lot to Monty Williams and the way that the team is buying into him and I if you had a chance to listen to the outlet with Lindsey Smith and his Javon Carter interview, Carter mentioned that Monty Williams is the guy that you want to run run through a brick wall for. So I think he's really getting to, into the players' heads as far as how good of a coach he might be, and they're, they're really buying in, and that's a good sight. And I think this defense could maintain this year from what we've seen so far through five games and the way that they went into Golden State and really really put a beating on them. It really shocked me, and I imagine you, Brennan, and all the listeners out there. So I think this defense could be legit. They've been holding them down so far, but a lot of it does involve shot luck. So we're going to have to see once a team gets hot from three what they're going to do from the defensive standpoint. But I, I do agree with that point that, that, that they, that's been the most surprising part. For, for, for me, the biggest surprise, though, is Aaron Baines. I mean, who expected him to be like a top 20 NBA player through the first five games of the season, just on a multiple advanced metric categories? He looks like a monster per 36 minutes. Him, Giannis Antetokounmpo, and Russell Westbrook are the three players that are doing that through five games this year, which is just insane that Aaron Baines is on that list. So I think he's my biggest surprise. My biggest disappointment, though, Brennan, I think I mentioned in the last segment, McHill Bridges and his lack of aggressiveness. I think that's my biggest disappointment so far because I think we're all high on McHill Bridges and his possibilities of being a, a two-way wing, a high-end two-way wing. But it's I think we need to see less of the drug and bender kind of symptoms and more of the Villanova version of him. Yeah, I actually think that that's right where I am as well uh, when it comes to disappointments. I mean, you can go through some of the things as a team, but I really think it's it's picking nits to, to, to pick a category or some certain statistic and say that the, the team is underperforming. They're not, and so it's hard to be disappointed in what they've done as a, as a group. So my, my eyes go to players as well, and I think the only guy really that's been consistently disappointing. There's been moments, I think Frank Kaminsky's game against the Warriors 0 for 6 is, is one, uh, as well as defensively and kind of how much he was fouling, getting taken advantage of by Rudy Gobert. But they won one of those games and almost won the other. So I think it's McHale here. And, I'm you know, it's just a guy that we like so much, too, that it is especially tough to see. But also a guy who I think is very internally motivated and, you know, not going not gonna to get too low here because I think he's just a guy who – He's going to be energized by winning much more than his own shot going down. I think that gives me a little bit of hope that he can step it up a little bit. But uh, that that would be mine too. Biggest disappointment there. Also, this guy, a thousand yard stare. Mike Conley's not washed. Can we stop? It's been a few games. That was one of his national takes. I don't think Mike Conley is done. He just scored like twenty points the other night after starting the season really rough. So we also don't need to pretend like Mike Conley was ever going to play for the Suns. So. We don't need to connect those teams and players together. Just enjoy what other teams are doing, too. Utah's a good team. Have fun watching them. We don't need to tear them down. Hey, real quickly, I just wanted to go through rapid fire for like two questions here so, so they don't feel left out. But okay. I think we've already answered some of this on some of this. Kevin Gray, we've answered this question before in some podcasts. If you're a new listener, Kevin, welcome aboard. He asked, if the Suns' success continues, do they look at the trade deadline? And if so, what kind of targets? I think we covered this before on multiple podcasts. Uh, your thoughts on Blake Griffin and Kevin Love, if there's any other names that have changed off those two names since then? Uh, I think it's probably going to be a power forward if it's anything. Um, tough part is they just don't really have the salaries to really make it make it make sense. All of the guys on this team that make a lot of money are team players that they don't want to get rid of outside of Tyler Johnson. So... It's going to be Johnson and, and some other pieces here. 
And now that we've seen how good Aaron Baines has been, his expiring contract, I don't think they're in in the mood to be trading that either. So I wrote about this before the season as one of my big questions for the year. I set the over-under for trades at 0.5. But yeah, as you said, Evan, we've talked about that on several occasions, and I think we'll probably, unless things go south here, hold off on that until closer to February. And then another one here from Mona Furfus. We actually got this one during the show. Based on the results so far, how would you predict the next 10 games and how they compared to your prediction before the season started? I don't remember my prediction before the season started. I think they were pretty bad, though, around Christmas, probably less than 10 wins. But here's the next 10 games, Brian, if you wanted to know. At the Grizzlies, 76 at home, Heat at home, Nets at home, Lakers at home, Hawks at home, Celtics at home, at the Kings, and at the Pelicans. Yeah, I think they could think, win more than half of those. I agree with you. I think they could, they could really be a 500 team here. I think they could win at the Grizzlies. I think they win at least a couple of games at home on this stretch against maybe the Hawks and the Nets. I could see that being a win. Then also, I think at New Orleans and at Sacramento, or home against New Orleans and at Sacramento are also winnable. So I hope they, I hope they really just stomp the Pelicans on that game because that's their one national TV game. They got to show out nicely for that one. And especially, too, if the Suns are actually relevant at that point in time, let's hope that there's no nosedive between now and then. I think there's going to actually be a lot of national TV talk all throughout the night because there's going to be no Zion Williamson. So it's gonna be, it might be a lot of Devin Booker talk. Let's hope so. Let's get some, like, let's see some of these national analysts at some of these Suns games. I like, mostly I just want to meet these guys, but, you know, let's read some stories, too. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I know, hopefully, the Suns continue on this train here. And then we have one more here, I believe, from. Baines fan club chimed in. He said, "Ding Aaron Baines as the best non-draft son to draft pick acquisition than Steve Nash." Oh, I saw that one. I I missed it when we were going back through just now. Uh, I have no idea. <laughs> I don't know it well enough to say one way or the other. Uh, Jason Richardson comes to mind. That would probably be off the top of my head. A guy. Uh, but I can't say. That's like 15 years worth of players. Uh, <laughs> Derek Bledsoe might be another one. Since yeah, I might, I might just say as just for the for the acquisitions this year, I would say he's up there as far as maybe like very near the top of the list so far through five games because his impact on and off the floor I think has been very much felt. I think Ricky Rubio is up there alongside Baines. I think maybe Rubio is ahead of Baines. But I, I think Baines is up there in the top two, top three for the acquisition so far. That says a lot about the way Baines is playing right now. But anything else, Brian, you want to hit on before we end today's podcast? No. A good idea to get everybody's in there. We appreciate them all. Keep sending them our way. We might just do a mailbag if you send us enough. I mean, don't be, don't go overboard with it. And cut it out with the trades. But thank you to everybody who did. And excited to see them beat the Grizzlies. I think that's that's probably a pretty good bet, I think, at this point. Yeah, they play tomorrow in Memphis. We will not have a live game recap for you guys. As you guys know, we record Mondays through Fridays. But Monday, we'll be back to talk about the Grizzlies game as well as live for Tuggers Resort Arena for a winnable game now, Brendan, against the Philadelphia 76ers, who do not have Joel Embiid, though. That's true. That's true. I forgot. Suspension will help the Suns here. That's true. It could be a winnable one. Yeah, we'll have to see, of course. Devin Booker versus Ben Simmons on Monday before then John Morant is going to be going against the Phoenix Suns tomorrow in Memphis. So appreciate everyone listening in. I'm Evan Sidery with Brendan Clean, my co-host. You can follow us again on Twitter at LockedOnPHXSuns. Thanks again for listening on today's podcast. We'll be back to you guys on Monday for next episode.